today's uh, first reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, ver uh, verse 18. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. I don't think that's right. Nope, that's not right. Okay. Uh, the next uh, uh, scripture is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 8 and 13. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and, and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be silenced. There is knowledge, it will pass away. And now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, if you could just pray with me. Lord God, thank you um, for the way that you have shown up already in this space. Thank you for um, just the many celebrations that we've got to be a part of and got to witness today, Lord, um, through the elder installation um, and getting to join and co-labor with Pathways to Power and One Day's Wages, Lord. Um, Father, we just thank you for that. We thank you for, um, for that opportunity. And Lord, now I just ask that you would be with your daughter, Lisa, as she brings us the word. Father, I pray that our hearts, minds, and souls would be open to what it is that you would speak to each and every one of us through your daughter. So we thank you in advance for that, and we thank you for Lisa. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. It has been a full morning already, right? The, the elder installation and um, the presentation of the gifts from our Advent offering are just, like, that gives me a lot of joy. Um, I am really delighted to be here today to be, uh, to be preaching. My name is Lisa Watson. I'm on the pastoral team here at Christ City Church. We're approaching the halfway mark of our journey through the Learning to Live series. We started out reflecting on the very simple question, right? What do you want? If only it were that easy, right? There, there's not one singular thing that I want. Maybe that's different for you. Um, what do you want? What vision of life are you striving for, whether for yourself or for others? Drea preached about understanding and telling our story just a couple weeks ago. Last week, Matthew touched on the fullness of God's story and how all of our stories fit into God's story, the whole gospel of creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. Today, we're going to talk about where we're going and who we're becoming. 
So I gave you a little warning. Here's the question that I want you to chat about for just a second with your neighbor, okay? It's what is your favorite children's story? It can be a fairy tale, it can be a little short, you know, short children's story. What's your favorite children's story? I'll give you just a second. All right. Somebody tell me what, either what is your favorite children's story or what is your neighbor's favorite children's story? Who wants to kick us off? Favorite children's story? Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Who else? Very Hungry Caterpillar. Very, hungry caterpillar. Very good. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> good. Anybody else? BFG. BFG. That's a good one. Yes. That's good. Um, all right. So how many of y'all have heard of the story, The Ugly Duckling? Yes, yes. It's a short story I learned as a kid, written by the 19th century Danish author Hans Christian Andersen. Basically, it's about a hatchling who doesn't fit in. Ducklings, you see, are supposed to be yellow and cute. And apparently, this one was big and gray and ugly. Now, as the long version of the story goes, the ugly duckling gets picked on by the other ducks, insulted by wild geese, scared by hunting dogs, and tormented by humans over the course of several years. In fact, he gets to a point where when he sees a group of swans, he is so in awe of their beauty and so tired of his own sad existence that he says, I will fly to those royal birds and they will kill me because I am so ugly and dare to approach them, but it doesn't matter. Better to be killed by them than pecked by the ducks, beaten by the hens, hunted by the dogs, um, pushed about by the maiden who feeds the poultry, or starved with hunger in the winter. Life is so terrible for him that he's ready to be done with it. And yet what happens when he swims to the swans? They welcome him as one of their own, because he's not an ugly duckling at all. All along, he was a swan, being judged by the standards of a duck. By the way, I don't think baby swans are all that ugly, but that's not the point. The point is, if you don't know who you are and who you were made to be, you'll judge yourself by all the wrong standards. Who you're becoming will be defined by everyone else around you and not who you really are and who God wants you to be. In this series um, about learning to live, you just take the ideas of those three words. We're learning to live. Learning, so learning is a, is a trajectory and where we recognize that a change is happening. Learning isn't just in your mind. Learning is displayed in your body. So recently, I'll, I'll give you an example. Back at the beginning of the year, we did a small renovation in our basement. I think we have a photo, there we go. That's um, the old bathroom. If you ever were in our bathroom, you would remember it because it was something to be experienced. Um, and so we were gonna add a shower. We expanded you know, the walls and we made some changes and, um, and my dad and I did this together. I spent hours, so we had to move pipes and that sort of thing, right? You know, you know how that goes. Um, and so I spent hours watching my dad solder copper pipes. Never seen it done before. He's like, oh yeah, that's an easy thing to do. We'll just move the plumbing. And I'm like, how even do you move plumbing? And so I got to watch him solder pipes for hours, right? Cut it. You, I, I, I played the very important role of um, sanding the copper pipes so that he could flux it and then solder it. It was important, I know, thank you. 
Um, so the question is, did I learn how to solder copper pipes? I watched him do it. I know how it's done. I've seen it done. I can tell you, I can describe it, but I've never done it myself. I am learning, right? I don't know if I've learned it. I have no idea if I can actually solder a copper pipe because I've never tried it. So one thing is I've learned it. If I could actually do it, I would have learned it, but I feel like I'm learning it. And I could probably tell you how to do it, but I couldn't tell you if it was done right or wrong. You'll know once the water comes on if it's right or wrong. <laughs> so did I learn to solder the copper pipes? If I watch and do it and never do it myself, have I really learned it? I'm learning. I have information about how it's done, but to know that I've learned it, I have to embody it. That's what learning is. So what are we learning? We're learning to live. Learning to live like Jesus, with Jesus, in Jesus. We are striving to learn as Jesus did. Dallas Willard says it like this, I'm not necessarily learning to do everything he did, but I am learning how to do everything in the manner in which he did all that he did. Okay? So I'm not going to learn how to walk on water. That's just not going to happen for me in this life. But I tell you what I can learn. I can learn how to love people and go to them in the midst of their life storms. I'm learning how to do the things that Jesus did in the way that he did them. So we're learning to live. I'm learning from Jesus how to live my life, my whole life, my real life, as defined by God. But why? Why would I want to live as Jesus lived? What benefit is that to me? Jesus showed us who God is and who he was and how he lived and how he announced and inaugurated and lived in and lived out the kingdom of God, where God rules and reigns in every life and every sphere of life, where what God wants is what actually happens, which could be summed up as healing and wholeness for all and between all. The Bible tells us that Jesus was the fullest embodiment of God. That when you look at Jesus, you see what God is like. Jesus was also the most human of us all. He showed us who we were made to be. He lived the fullest, best, truest life any human being has ever lived. And the story that we're on, the journey of learning to live, as Jesus lived, it has a destination. So too do our spiritual journeys, and there's a way to measure our progress towards that destination. One of my hopes for learning to live is that we would learn and know that there is a goal to the spiritual journey, that there's a destination, that there's a target. And not only that we would know this, but that we would seek it and strive it, strive for it and live into it. That goal, the future, is encapsulated by the verse of the week for our learning to live study, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The, the message, um, the translation by Eugene Peterson, says it this way. And so we are transfigured. Transfigured is, is another way to say transformed into something more beautiful or elevated. 
And so we are transfigured, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives and we become like him. That our lives would become more beautiful. That we would, by the power of God's spirit in us, become like Jesus, be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. But what does it look like to become like Jesus? Jesus is the clearest reflection of God, but what is God like? 1 John 4, 8 says this way, God is love. That's what God is like. God is love, simply put. It's one of the only nouns that's used to describe God that isn't a metaphor like shepherd or rock. It just is. God is love. We as image bearers of God and followers of Jesus are made to love and be defined by love. That's easy to say. What does that mean? God is love. However, the statement that God is love is problematic. For one thing, we don't know God. For another thing, our talk of love is suspect. Both the word God and the word love await content and definition by the particular stories that are scripture. And that's a quote from William H. Willimon, the Bishop of Birmingham from the United Methodist Church. It's problematic if we don't know God and if we don't know what love is. And this is why stories, our story and God's story are so crucial. The clearest story of God we have embodied is embodied in Christ. The way we know Christ is through the scriptures. Stories are anchoring, stories are important, and we learn of Jesus' life and teachings, the death and the resurrection through the scriptures. We learn of God's story in Jesus. Stories matter, stories are anchoring. There was a, um, a study released a number of years ago called Do You Know? And it was a study on the emotional health of children. Emory psychologist Dr. Robin Fivush, and Dr. Marshall Duke um, did this study that indicated that the, best, the single best predictor of children's emotional health and happiness was whether or not they knew their stories, where their family had come from, who they were. Are they connected to the story of their family? The more a child knows about his family's story, the better informed he or she is about his wider family and the obstacles that they have overcome in order to survive and to thrive. The stronger the child's sense of control over his life, the higher their self-esteem, according to this study. Because stories matter. They anchor us. There's this picture um, that I love. It's, a, it's part of my story. That's my grandpa, Bill. Um, Bill, it, Bill was... Um, he was a minister. He wasn't always in a wheelchair. He had a sledding accident when he was about 40 years old, and he lost the use of his legs. He was pastoring a church for his entire career prior to that. And I love this, I love this picture, and I love this story because it tells the story of what we do when things that we have known are taken away from us. So my grandpa Bill, he, he couldn't do ministry anymore in the same way that he had always done. He left the ministry um, because quite a long time ago, I, it was just not happening for people in wheelchairs to be pastors. 
and I think we could still get better about that today. Um, so he left the ministry, but later in life, and for his whole life, ministry was part of who he was. It wasn't just what he did. So when he moved to Delaware, he went and he spent days during the week at the prison leading Bible studies, going into prison cells, meeting with the prisoners and doing Bible studies with them. Because love and life and this story means you minister when it's inconvenient. And here, we're actually on the dance floor at my wedding. And the story that I, that I feel so rooted by and so inspired by is, is that love equals finding a way to dance with no legs. That is who we are. That is part of the Kathy story. That is part of the story that's written on my life because it was written on his life. And that story anchors me. God's story fills in for us the waiting definition of what is meant when we say that God is love. Brene Brown says it this way, if left on our own, we would romanticize love. I'll admit, I'm tempted to do that. <laughs> it's so much easier. We would go to unicorns and rainbows and make it easy. But we all know that there is nothing easy about love. So God came down to show us what love looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, four through eight says it like this, love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Love never fails. My hunch is that, that you may have heard this passage like at a wedding, right? Like this is like it's a wedding passage. Guess what? It is not, I mean, it can be used at weddings. It is not a wedding passage. When this was penned, this was penned to the church in Corinth, a, a huge metropolis of a city. And Paul was writing this letter to um, not a couple trying to figure out how to do life well together. Um, he was writing to the church to a diverse group of folks from different cultures and socioeconomic classes, different levels of education and different religious upbringings, all of whom were trying to figure out how to follow and become like Jesus in a pluralistic cosmopolitan metro metropolis, a hub of ideas and ideologies, and all sorts of stories about what success is and what the good life is were swirling around in that city in that day. Sound familiar? We might have some ideologies and different levels of socioeconomics and different um, education levels and different measures and conversations about what success is, even here in our city today. 
and into that urban church he writes about love and into this urban church he writes about love and love is being patient and being kind and not envying and not boasting not being proud not dishonoring others not seeking your own glory not being easily angered keeping no records of wrongs forgiving quickly not delighting in evil but rejoicing with the truth protecting trusting hoping persevering Love is not easy. Love is not easy, but God has shown us what love is. And one of the things that we know from this passage is that love protects. One story that came to mind when I was thinking about how did Jesus protect is, uh, is the woman caught in adultery, John chapter eight. So there was this woman caught in adultery. She gets dragged out in front of the crowd and, um, and the leaders of the day were trying to trap Jesus um, so he asked, what should we do with her, right? Um, he protected her from the status quo death sentence of death by stoning. That was, the, that was the penalty in the day for being caught in the act of adultery, was you, you were stoned to death. He protected her, and he loved her. He confronted everyone on the scene about their sin. He said, who among you is without sin? You can be the first one to cast the stone. He confronted everyone about their sin. And he was protecting her. He told her he didn't condemn her. He encouraged her at the end of this scene to live a life of freedom from the bondage of sin. And she walked away. She walked away alive. She would have been a dead woman otherwise. She walked away alive and dignified and protected and loved. Love protects. Jesus showed us what it looks like to love in that situation. Recently, I was on the border, um, uh, uh, on our southern border in El Paso and Ciudad Juarez. And I had the privilege of sitting um, on the other side of the border in Juarez in a migrant shelter and listening to a story of a young man who had come from Guatemala and made his way north to try and seek asylum in our country. And so I have a picture of Carlos. Carlos personifies for me what, um, what it looks like when love protects. Um, so Carlos is a dad of two kids and um, and there was one night when he was out uh, in, in his town and he saw that there was a little girl who was about to be raped. And he stepped in and he intervened and he protected that child. The person who was gonna be the perpetrator was a powerful person both religiously and politically. And when he intervened, his life was at stake. He received death threats, his brother was beat up, and he knew at that point, I cannot stay. If I want to live, I have to go north. And so he made his way north. And, and I told you, Carlos has two kids, two boys, and um, Carlos's wife 
understandably had to ask the hard question of why would you even have gotten involved? Because now look at our lives. You got involved and now we don't have a safe family. And he said to her, if I had a little girl, I would have wanted someone to protect her. And I don't regret it. And I would protect her with my life if I had a little girl. When he started his journey north, Carlos's wife was pregnant. On the way, um, she gave birth to a baby girl. Truly, it might be a baby girl he'll never meet. Because for him to return to his country in his town is not safe. And the thing that I learned from Carlos is that love protects. He embodied the protection and the love of God for that little girl at a great cost to himself. And he told us that day when we were sitting in that shelter, I would do it again because it's what's right. Love is not easy. And I have to ask myself, and I want us to ask ourselves, what are we protecting? Who are we protecting with this great love of God? How is love compelling us to protect others and to be the love of God to others? The scripture also tells us that love protects, but it also perseveres. Another translation for this word is endures. The Greek word is hupomene, which literally means to stand under, to remain, to stay behind, to wait persistently. It's not an easy word. It's not a soft word. To persevere is to push through in spite of the obstacles and the setbacks in the face of trials and temptations. For the sake of love, Jesus persevered in faithfulness to the mission of God, living and dying to redeem the world. In spite of the hard-heartedness of his disciples, I am one of them. In spite of the animosity of his opponents, in the face of temptation, of saving himself or taking a shortcut in the process, Jesus persevered. He loved. Man, I, I gotta tell you, young people, I am so inspired by your work, Pathways to Power. Man, you embodied this for us, what it means to persevere. Persevering in the midst of great sorrow, what is born today was born out of a deep, deep, pain and loss for you guys. You have persevered. You believe that a better future is possible and you love enough to walk that out day in and day out and to say, I am going in this direction, come and follow. Because that future is better than what we have right now and, and for us as Christians and followers of Jesus, it reflects the day that is to come when God will make everything right. We're on our way. Come and get on board. It represents the change, the kingdom to come where, where violence is no more, where tears are no longer shed by young people because, 
because their friends and their loved ones were killed in the streets. The writer of Hebrews calling us to persevere in the faith, yet reminding us of Jesus' perseverance, writes, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, the, the right hand on the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Your display of love, your growth in love is displayed in your perseverance. It's displayed in your perseverance. A couple of years ago, um, I listened to uh, This American Life story. Matthew is a big fan, and sometimes he shares the best of them with me, which I was really grateful for in this instance. It was about a relationship that went very sour, and um, the couple ended up hurting each other terribly. What struck me was the dialogue between the man in the relationship, whose name is Kurt, and the host, Ira Glass. Kurt begins advocating for transience in marriage, that there should be like an expiration date on relationships, marriages included, so that the couple can assess if they want to remain together any longer. So this is Kurt. Um, I do have a theory now. I do have a theory about if I do get married in the future, what I think I would want is to have an agreement that at the end of seven years, we have to get remarried in order for the marriage to continue. But at the end of seven years, it ends. And we can agree that we will get remarried, or we can agree that we will not get remarried. Ira Glass asks, well, why? Kurt says, because then I think you get to choose. And I think it would make the relationship stronger. Ira says, I don't, I don't know what I think of that. Because I think actually, one of the things that's a comfort in marriage is that there isn't a door at seven years. And so if something is messed up in the short term, there's comfort in knowing like, well, we made this commitment. And so we're just gonna work it out. And even if tonight we're not getting along or there's something between us that doesn't feel right, you have the comfort of knowing we've got time. We're going to figure this out. And that makes it so much easier because you go through times when you hate each other's guts, right? And the, no, not you, honey, not us. <laughs> and the no escape clause weirdly is a bigger comfort to being married than I ever would have thought before I got married. Kurt says, I had never thought of it that way. I like thinking about it that way. You just see so many examples of where people don't think that way. What Ira is articulating in many ways is this love as perseverance story of the Bible from beginning to end, God saying over and over again, no matter what, I'm still going to love you. No matter what, I'm still going to love you. No matter what, 
I'm still going to love you. God's showing that in the person of Jesus. No matter what, I'm still gonna love you. God giving his spirit to heal our broken hearts and transform our broken lives, saying, no matter what, I'm still going to love you. This is God restoring our identity. This is God saying, this is who you are becoming as you learn to live. When we ask, who am I? His answer, hear this, friends. When you ask God, when I ask God, who am I? His answer is, you're my beloved. You are the one that I love. It's not some other negative narrative that we have grown up with or stood up under. When we ask God, who am I? He says, you're my beloved. Where is God calling you to persevere in love? Into what relationship or circumstance is the Spirit urging you to display your growth as a disciple of God's love through the holy act of protecting or persevering? If the mark of a disciple is to love and the mark of love is perseverance, then where are you evidencing that? Where are you becoming perseverant as you learn to live as Christ lived? There are others, don't get me wrong, like this not the only one, perseverance and protection. There's a full list, patience. Where are you becoming more patient? Kind, content, humble, caring for others, long-suffering, forgiving, meek, truthful, hopeful, persevering. As you consider this list, what love looks like, who God is, what God is like, and the invitation for you to follow this God. I wonder, how will you embody this today? How will you learn it today, this afternoon? Our growth as followers of Jesus, your ability to live as Jesus lived, hinges on your growth in love. C.S. Lewis writes, love is not affectionate feelings, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate good as far as it can be obtained. To love the stranger, to love children, love the outcast, love the needy, and love your enemies. The love of Jesus, the love of God, is mind-blowingly expansive. The love of Jesus is mind-blowingly expansive. It is uncomfortably broad, outrageously prodigal. This is what love says, no matter what. Whoever you are, I will love you, and I will seek your good. So my invitation to you, a couple of invitations, I think, for, for us here today. If you don't know this God and this Jesus that we've been talking about and singing about and singing to this morning, my invitation for you is that you experience the deep love of God. It's an offering on the table, and all you have to do is say yes. I wanna know that God. I don't know all the answers, I don't have it figured out, my life is not in the shape that it should be, but if the invitation is for me to get to know my creator and to know the deep love of God, then I'll say yes today. 
That is the invitation for some of you. For others of you, it's to grow in expressing God's love to others. It's a call for Christ-likeness, that we would be more like the Jesus that we read about in the pages of the Bible, that we would display more and more this deep love of God. So I'm gonna pray, um, and the band is gonna come up as I pray. And I just, wanna, I just wanna invite you to consider while we pray, what's your response today? How are you gonna learn to live today? Our prayer team is gonna be at, at both of the prayer stations on either side of the room. They wanna pray for folks. If you're, if you're making a decision about following Jesus, go to them and let them know. They'll pray for you. If you've got something that you're going through and you want prayer for it, go to them and they'll pray for you. You don't have to, you don't have to sit in this alone. There's an invitation for someone, for you to be with someone in this today. So let me pray for us. I continue to be struck every day, God, that your message to us is that no matter what, I still love you. And I'm so thankful for that persistent and persevering and protecting and all-encompassing love. And God, I pray that you would be generous with us today, uh, that we would not leave heavy-hearted, but that we would leave with awe and wonder in who you are. And I pray that we would trust you with the things that we hold, that we don't have answers for, in ways that we want to grow and be more like you, ways that we want to know more deeply who we're becoming and, and hearing that we are becoming like you in our love. God, I pray for those who are specifically wrestling with what it means to, to walk with you. That should be all of us today. Teach us, help us to learn, help us to hear you and to obey with a courageous and fierce obedience. Thank you so much for your love, God. We pray all these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.